I can't tell you how excited I am that you guys are joining us for the third week of this uh, teaching, Plug In. And as a matter of fact, if you've missed the first two weeks of this teaching, I want to encourage you to go to our website uh, and there uh, make sure you pick up those uh, couple of weeks of teachings because guess what? Next week, uh, I'm going to invite you, wherever you live across the country, across the world, to consider being a partner with us at NBCC. Don't just watch us on the screen, but get connected. Those of you in San Jose, I'm going to invite you to do the same. Move off of those pews and, and consider partnering with us in what God has called us to do and to be. Speaking of San Jose, can you guys make some noise? What's up in San Jose? I'm so happy that you guys are joining us. And, and listen, I celebrate all of you who are also watching across the country and the world online. Now, today I want to take a f- some time and talk about a, a special characteristic that makes NBCC, this community, an uncommon Jesus-first community. This particular characteristic doesn't make us better than other churches or worse than other churches. It just makes us uncommon and unique. You know, some people would suggest that it is the secret in the NBCC sauce. Other folk would say, in some ways, it's the, the unique superpower that Jesus has given to us. Do you want to know what it is? It's our radical diversity. Listen, guys, when I say that we are a congregation that is radically diverse, I mean it. I mean, whatever way you can think of diversity, we, 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 we have people here representing. We go from younger to older. We represent every color on the, on, the, on the racial and skin spectrum. Come on now, including biracial and multiracial individuals. Uh, we have people who are wealthy and high resource, as well as people just trying to make it from paycheck to paycheck. We have folk who live in huge homes and people who don't have a place to call their home, not even an apartment, but they're part of this community. We have those who've been in the church for decades. We have others who are returning to the church after decades. And you know what? Some of you are watching me right now. This is your first or second or third week ever experiencing the church. And there are, you know, just a wide range of folk. Can somebody shout radically diverse? That's who we are. We also have people who, who, who call us their family and home who are of different sexual orientation and different gender identification. We have uh, first, second, third generation immigrants, people who have just come over uh, to study, you know, so, so, so immediate immigrants. We have political religious diversity, guys from the far right to the far left and everything in between. Can somebody shout radically diverse? And what's remarkable, in Ridwood City, this radically diverse Christian community that's anchored in the evangelical theological tradition meets in a Jewish synagogue. Can you say radically diverse? (laughs) That's who we are. Now, let me just tell you how God uses radical uh, diversity in our lives. You see, whether you find it in the world around you, or whether you show up in NBCC because he's built it into our DNA structure, God uses radical diversity to teach us how to love radically without conditions. You know, last week I uh, talked to you guys, or the last couple of weeks I talked to you guys about plugging into the greatest power in the universe, that's God, uh, through his son Jesus by proclaiming a Jesus first faith. And what I meant by that simply is to declare that Jesus is the uh, source of all and uh, is above all, 
in your life. And I told you that one of the interesting things that happens when we, when we turn our lives over to Jesus is we discover that God loves us radically without conditions. But it is God's expectation that we don't just receive that as a benefit, but that we join Jesus in partnership. Can somebody shout partnership? Yes, partnership uh, in loving others radically. And he's designed this NBCC community just for that powerful expression in the world. Listen, let me just say this. Our radical diversity is the one thing that makes doing life together at NBCC so super exciting. And it's also the one thing that makes it so incredibly challenging. So let's read the text. And let me tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about uh, how we shape here. Uh, And then I'm going to talk to you about how we do radical diversity together. Not perfectly, not flawlessly, but faithfully. Yeah, because we're a perfect church, but we're seeking to be faithful. And I'm going to share with you a case study where we're going to take on one of the most divisive uh, kinds of subjects that's in our culture and certainly in, in the church expression and how we work through it here as a perfect example of the how that I'm going to teach you in terms of 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 how we work through diversity, all right? Okay, let's read the text. Mark chapter 2, verse 14 through 17. Uh, here's Here's what Mark says. As he, Jesus that is, was walking along, he saw Levi, the son of Ephesus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, followed him. Later, check this out. Levi invited Jesus and disciples to his home as a dinner, as dinner guests. And along with, watch this, many tax collectors. In other words, he called his buddies, guys. Many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. And watch this. And there were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. But when the teachers of the religious law, <clears throat> who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the tax collectors and other sinners, you know what? They asked his disciples, they say, hey. Why does Jesus eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he told them, listen, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous. I've come to call those who know that they are sinners. And there ends the reading. You were with us last week. You know that I talked about uh, we have 10 values that shape our culture here. And one of the ones that we talk mostly about, and you can find all these values on our website page, is everyone matters to God and everyone matters to us. Can you shout everyone? This week, I want to talk about another key value for us. What God has called us to do, we can only do together. Shout together. Type that in the chat together. Now, last week, I talked to you. Not only about our vision and some of our values, but I talked to you about the four spiritual vital signs that we find in most healthy, growing believers. And I talked to you about two of those four. Remember, last week I said, for example, that if you're a growing believer, more often than not, you are engaging regularly with practical teaching. And that's what we do here. We teach you not just to hear and to learn God's word, but how to do it. And then secondly, I said that if you're a growing believer, you're practicing spiritual disciplines. And we partner with you to to, to do that together and to give you what you need. Today, I want to give two more, uh, the other two vital signs. And they're going to become the context for what we want to talk about in terms of how God uses diversity 
to teach us to love radically. One is simply referred to as what I call the encounter with providential relationships. And here's, here's, here's what I mean by that. Incidental encounters that after we look back at them later, we determine that they were actually divine appointments. You know, I've never heard a, a, a faith story or a God story where uh, people are talking about how faith exploded in their lives without more often than not hearing them talking about one of these kinds of encounters. And the second one is what we call an, uh, uh, that one comes to experience what we call pivotal circumstances, circumstances that lead to major shifts in our lives. Now, let me give you a real quick example. Our elder, Cap, uh, elder Skip Vaccarello, has told the story often of how many, many years ago, his wife, uh, at a kind of low, challenging point in their lives, drove into the parking lot and some a lady drove in behind her and said, excuse me, I don't mean to startle you, but something told me to invite you to come to church. And Jackie chose to go to church, and her faith exploded. Her life was dramatically transformed. She brought her kids. A few years later, Skip came, and he ultimately surrendered his life to Jesus, and now the entire family plus grandkids are Jesus followers. You see, an unexpected, unplanned, unanticipated encounter that resulted into a pivotal circumstance that has had generational impact. We all have those kinds of stories, I think. So here's what I want to say to you today. One of the reasons that God has uniquely shaped us with this radical diversity is that once you land in an NBCC community, you move beyond just kind of standing and worshiping with people and, 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 and passing the you know, telling people hello on your way out, and you actually get into one of our small groups, whether it's a serving team or a physical team, whether you do that virtually or you do it in person in our San Jose uh, 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 site campus, you know what? You're probably going to find yourself in a group with some folk that you could not have anticipated. You're probably going to find yourself in a group with some folk where you're challenged to love that had, had anyone told you that you'd be in the same group with them you would say, no, that cannot work. You see, because uh, amidst this beautiful diversity that I've just described in this remarkably and horribly divided world in which we live in, there's a whole lot of differences, different ways in which we think and how we interact and engage with life. You know, there's differences and disagreements around tax policy here in America or the critical race theory or immigration or climate control or sexuality or abortion of voting rights and our voting integrity, depending upon what side you're on there, right? And attached to these disagreements are very real feelings. Some of you are beginning to feel them now as I list off these things. Anger, fear, frustration, woundedness, hatred, right? And attached to these fields of walls. We fill these walls with people in our families. We fill them with people in, the, in all our jobs, and truth be told, when you finish singing and worshiping, either online or here in person, as you engage with people who are different to you, you feel it right here. And yet it is to us that Jesus says, just before the, the night of his crucifixion, during the night of his crucifixion, I've gone to this text throughout this series. Jesus says, this is my commandment. Love each other. Watch this. In the same way that I have loved you. Then check this out. And then he goes and dies for all of us. Check it out. 
He goes and dies for folk that he disagrees with. He goes and dies for folk with whom and for whom he doesn't endorse all of our choices. He died for the, for the people who, who abused him and the soldiers who stood f- foot at the cross. He died for the disciples who, come on, who, who abandoned him. He died for you. He died for me. And in that process, he died to redeem us from the worst parts of ourselves. And in that process, he gives us and teaches us something that is incredibly countercultural and extraordinarily powerful. You ready for it? He teaches us to disagree and love. Once you say it with me, disagree and love. Yeah. While he disagreed with so much of who we are and what we've done, he loves us so radically that he died to redeem us. And what I said to you, my friends, is simply that that's countercultural. Listen. Right now, I'm thinking about two guys who are in the same life group. They've been in the same life group here at NBCC. That's our small group where people do life together. Uh, study the, what I teach up here and fellowship, so forth and so on. Uh, and they've been in the same life group for, I don't know, maybe 10 years, if not longer. They're different races. They're, they're, you know, one, you know, they have different, um, they have different uh, financial resources. Uh, you know, they're different politically. And as they have been able to engage with one another over the years, they've kind of gotten comfortable and they've been, they've been able to be honest. And there's a lot of things that they disagree about. But because of the commonality of, of faith in Jesus, a Jesus-first faith, and a Jesus that keeps calling them back to work on loving one another across their disagreements, come on now, today what I can tell you is that while they, they, they continue, they, they probably haven't changed how they vote, they have certainly changed how they love. Because they've created an accommodated, a, a place of accommodation. They have created a place in their heart for the other. And if you had asked them 10 years ago, they would say, no, that's just not possible. That is the miracle that takes place here in an NBCC community. You know, it requires hard work. Shout hard work. But it also requires heart work. God needs to work on our hearts. He's stretching our hearts. Now, the passage that is in front of us paints a remarkable, beautiful picture. And I just want you to see it as an NBCC picture, right? Jesus is in the neighborhood preaching and proclaiming about this new kingdom that is going to come. He's working miracles. He's, he's healing people. He's driving out evil. And, and, and Levi, who's later known as Matthew, is sitting around. He's like a tax collector. He's been empowered by the Roman government to collect taxes. And he can also impose whatever extra he wants. And he's driven people into poverty and to debtor prisoners. He's destroyed people's lives. He's, he's really, really has been an instrument of evil. But he's listening to Jesus. There's something irresistible about Jesus and Jesus times this thing just right he passes by and he says to Levi knowing that his heart is caught on fire come follow me wow somebody's listening to me you're a regular everyday person and when you think about yourself you all you know is the imperfections that shape your life and yet I want you to know that same Jesus is walking through the neighborhood through this teaching and saying it's time for you to come follow me and what was remarkable Levi got up Matthew, and left his table. And check it out. The next thing the text tells us is that he throws a party and invites his friend. Watch what it says here, verse 15. It says, listen, Levi invited Jesus and the disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with, I love this, many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. Watch this. 
uh, there were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. Check that out. Many people of this kind. What kind? Tax collectors who, who were instruments of it. And, and disreputable sinners among Jesus' followers. Now, this text represents two groups. And I want to tell you right now, this first description, I'm in that group. I'm, I'm, I'm in this group. Let me tell you who, who, who else is in this group of this first. You know, uh, some of the people who were in that house gathered around Jesus. That's the picture I want you to see. People crowded around Jesus. They're sharing at a table and they're crowded around Jesus. Uh, some of them had been uh, delivered or healed. And so he had met their needs and they came for, they were coming to see, was there, was there more that he could do for them? Some were there uh, because their faith was now in transition. They were beginning to believe, but, but, but they weren't quite sure. Some were there who were fragrant violators like Levi used to be of the Jewish law and of civic law too when they could get away with it. And yet there was something so irresistible about Jesus that even though he said, I did not come to do away with the Jewish law or abolish it, but to fulfill it. And I'm sure they had some of those engagements right there. There was something so irresistible about Jesus that they sat right there by him. They wanted to be right in his presence. And then there were folk like Levi who had walked away from their yesterdays, committing to live a different kind of life. They were in the room also. I want you to know, I'm in that room. I want you to know the picture of Jesus being in the midst of that kind of diversity. That's NBCC. With a wide range of folk who struggle with who we are. You know, struggle with obedience, struggle with whatever. In that room. And then there's another group. They obviously are standing around the walls and maybe they're looking through the windows. The scholars are not quite sure, but they make commentary on Jesus uh, who is essentially risking his reputation as a rabbinical figure, uh, risking being accused of breaking the law. And yet Jesus' mission to love, Jesus concluded, is worth the risk. And here's what this other group says. But when the teachers of the religious law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, (laughs) Why does he eat with such scum? Let me just say, I'm not with that group. That's not who NBCC is. And listen to Jesus' answer. When Jesus heard this, he told them, listen, guys, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they are righteous. Notice that word, think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. I'm in that last group. Uh, See, I know that I need a Savior to save me from my sins. I mean, I I know what Isaiah said is true about me, that the best of my righteousness is as filthy rags before God. I'm I'm, I'm in in that that group. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to tell you how we here at NBCC, not perfectly, not flawlessly, but faithfully, try to engage the diversity in our community in a way that stretches us and helps us to grow more into who Jesus has called us to be. So that what makes Jesus irresistible causes us also to become irresistible and expansive to others. So first I'm going to tell you about three keys. Then I'm going to tell you how to, to negotiate differences scripturally. And then I'm going to give you a quick case study, and it will be at the end, because I want to show you how it works. And some of you, this will be fresh. Others of you, you'll remember, because we've talked about this before some years ago. So just walk with us. 
There are three keys to MVCC's gift of diversity. The first is a Jesus first faith. That just simply means that we trust Jesus above all and as Lord of all. When we say we trust him as Lord of all, that means we trust that, 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 that he can handle what we can handle. Secondly, grace and truth. You know, John describes Jesus this way. He says that when Jesus came, the fullness of God in our midst, he says he came with grace and truth. Grace refers to relationship and love. Truth refers to conviction and boundary. Jesus was 100%, come on, grace and 100% truth, but he led with grace. Notice what came first, grace and truth. Here's what I mean. When we become people of grace and truth, it means that we can love across differences we can love across differences while not, while, while not losing sight of our core convictions and values. And then number three. Number three really could be captured by one big word. Can everybody shout stories? Yes. Yeah, the secret to NBCC navigating the differences is that we, 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 we learn how to hear and respect each other's stories. Listen. I heard some time ago this amazing definition of intimacy. It really describes the kind of community that God is trying to build here with us. Here's the definition of intimacy. Intimacy is, into me you see. Into me you see. You see Jesus sitting in that room of Matthew at the table and all those different people gathered around him. That was intimacy. And, and, and I guarantee you that what was going on amongst the joy and celebration was there's a lot of storytelling there. And Jesus was listening. Or perhaps there was a tax collector who says, let me, let me just tell you why I'm a tax collector. Because, you know, because the Roman government came and dogged out of my family when I was young. And I figured, what's the use of trying to be righteous? I'm just going to go get mine. That's why I'm one. And maybe among the disreputable uh, sinners, perhaps there's a prostitute who says, listen, I was raped when I was 16. My, 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 my parents kicked me out of the house. I was staying. Nobody would marry me. Uh, and that's how I moved into this notion of prostitution. I had to feed myself. And, and, and all the while, they're watching Jesus. And Jesus is, is, is warmly, fully, with all of his heart, engaged and listening. And each one of them and others could say, into me, he sees. And even though he, didn't even though he disagreed with some of the conclusions that was in that room, he disagreed and loved now, let me give you, let me, let me talk about the method. You know, a few weeks ago, I talked about how Paul went to the uh, city of Philippi, established three uh, Jesus first communities. I called them New Beginnings communities. And I talked about all the diversity that was there and what a wonderful time it was. Remember? A couple of years ago, he, a couple of years later, he had to write them because that diversity had melted down into disagreement. There was people there related to the farm community and versus the people in the military community. There was rich people there and there was poor people there. There was former slave owners there and, and slave owners there with former slaves and slaves all in the same community. And the disagreement kind of merged up. So Paul says, listen, let me tell you how you manage your disagreement. You gotta, you've got to adopt the Jesus first mindset. Here's what he says. What is it? Verse 5. Watch what he says. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Watch this. He gave up his divine privileges. He, sets, he set what was rightfully his aside temporarily. That's what he said. He took the humble position of a slave. Some translations, as a servant. He took the posture of serving us. 
and was born as a human being. He entered our story. He became a part of our story. In other words, you might say he actually walked in our shoes. The writer in Hebrews 4 15 says this, that in Jesus we have a high priest who is not empathetic to our weaknesses because, let your imagination run here, he was tempted in every way that you and I have ever been tempted, but he is without sin. He knows what it's like to walk in your shoes and walk in my shoes. So here's it now. Keep that in mind. Here's the Jesus verse paradigm that I want to lay out that helps us to learn how to dialogue across differences when it comes to hearing other people's stories. Number one, shout listen. Listen, yeah. Listen. Now, here's the first thing you do. Set aside your right, your conviction, your right to argue, and listen. Listen uh, with thoughtfulness and compassion to what the other person has to share as they tell their story. Second, feel. Can somebody say, feel? Yeah. Yeah, acknowledge and engage the other person's pain inside of the story as though, as best as you can imaginatively, as you were walking in their shoes. Can you imagine what it would be like for you to walk in their shoes? The thirdly, share. Right? Uh, express your feelings first. The first thing you want to engage with is your feelings. Sometimes you may have to weep with somebody before you start talking about what you think. But then... Share whatever your thoughts and whatever your convictions are honestly, but don't dismiss or devalue their story. You can't debate their story. And last, boundaries. Yeah, draw boundaries that create space to love each other and trust Jesus as Lord. There you go. Let me model this out in a real kind of real life story that I want to tell you. Let me, let me take one of the most divisive issues that there is in our culture. It's the issues surrounding the LGBTQ plus community and how do we engage with it? So first, let me just tell you theologically where we start at here at NBCC, where I start at here. So I'm going to tell you where I start theologically. Secondly, let me just say immediately, lots of you watching me are going to disagree with me. By the way, if I took a different position, lots of you watching is going to disagree with me. Thirdly, I want you to know it's okay with me that you disagree with me. I challenge you to disagree but still love me. That's the principle that we're teaching here. Lastly, I'm actually not trying to persuade you. I'm just sharing with you my convictions so I can talk you through this model I just laid out with you. But it's important for you to hear. Now, here's where I start around LGBTQ uh, issues, particularly around same-sex marriage, for example. Most folks say, well, Jesus doesn't say anything about sexuality. Well, yeah, but, uh, but no, yes, he does. In this sense, he talks about the purpose of marriage. Matthew 19, 4 through 5. Here's what Jesus says. Haven't you read, he replied, that the beginning of the cre- at the beginning, the Creator made them male and female. And said, for this reason, shout for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one. The key here is for this reason. What Jesus is clearly saying is that, that, there, that, that the purpose behind our sexuality is literally built into creation. And that reflects his divine intent. Now, while some of you may disagree with me, and that's cool, let me quickly say that 
I want to also acknowledge that there's been a huge disruption in the creation and pain has fallen out in all kinds of places. You've heard about the earthquakes, pain in the environment, the earthquakes and the the, the hurricanes that are happening, pain in our families, pain in our bodies, unmitigated pain, pain in our mental health, pain in our sexuality shows up. And in many cases, it's unbearable. It feels unbearable and inescapable. I want to own that, declare that's true. But my conviction as I read this text is that turning away from God's basic design doesn't solve the issue or resolve it. It will tend to compound it and the pain, whether sooner or later. Now, that's my theological conviction. Bear with me. Let me give you a practical application now. A number of years ago, I had a conversation with a dear friend of mine. We worked together in an organization called Greater Boston Indian Faith Organization. His name is David. He was a pastor. The universe is Unitarian. Let me say here, there are a lot of pastors who disagree with me, a lot of churches who disagree with how we handle this issue. There's a church for every side of this issue. So I just want to acknowledge that. All right? And so after we had worked together, we ended up being on opposite side where the whole issue of same-sex marriage was at, at that time on the ballot. And sometime in the middle of that, David said, look, can we just talk? I just want to share my story. I said, I'd love to hear your story. And he shared with me how he grew up in a Pentecostal home. And how at about four or five years old, he started uh, recognizing that he had same-sex attraction. And for those of you who share my theological perspective inside the LGBTQ plus community, let me just simply say to you that attraction from a biblical standpoint is not a sin. It's what we do with it. It's where we start getting into that space, right? So he said he recognized that he had a same-sex attraction, and it grew and it grew and it grew. He said when he was a teenager, he remembered crying and fasting and praying that Jesus would remove it, and he didn't. So he concluded the way forward for him was to move forward in a same-sex relationship. He said he had found some peace. So he says, Herman, what do you think about that? I said, well, before I can tell you what I think, let me tell you what I feel. Notice I've listened, and I'm telling you what I feel. And listen, how can you hear a story like that and not, and not feel some pain? How, how can you hear a story like that and not feel like you want to weep with this brother, Right? And so I said to him, listen, I, I, I just expressed my feelings. I hurt with you and hurt for you. And I'm so sorry. And I said, listen, I, 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 I can't tell you what choices I would make if I was in your shoes because I can't, I, can't, I can't relate to that. I can tell you what choices that I hope that I would make. But, I, but, but, but you know, I'm not in your shoes. I'm just saying it's, I, I hear you and I feel you. I said, he says, okay, so what do you think? I said, well, theologically, I think about this as a Jesus follower. And I said, and so when you said to me that you cried and cried for God to remove the suffering, and he would not, I couldn't help but remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane crying and crying and crying. He said, Father, he cried all night, if it be possible, take this cup of suffering from me. And the Father didn't. And Jesus could have made a different choice, but I out of a place of faithfulness, he chose for faithfulness that went through suffering. 
And as a Jesus follower, I'll just say that the one who died for us from time to time will find ourselves in a place where perhaps we're called to die for him. Now, I can't pose that on you, but I'm just telling you, that's my theological perspective. I said, so as a result of that, I can't condone your perspective on same-sex marriage. But check it out, my man. I'm not going to condemn you. I'm going to entrust you to the lordship of Jesus. Because, you know, he he grew up in the Pentecostal church. So listen, I said to him, don't walk away. He's a university Don't walk away from Jesus. Come on. Come on. Let him still be Lord and Savior. He, he, He loves you. Stay with him. And then we had some, then we had to talk about boundaries. He says, okay, all right, so, so here's how we're going to handle this, Herman. I said, cool. He said, we're just going to agree to disagree. I said, cool. That's the boundary. That meant we're not going to talk about this anymore. And you know what we did? We went on and we worked together as partners and as dear friends and helped win near universal health care in uh, Massachusetts, which ended up helping to change the course of health care in America. And he's still a dear friend of mine today. I've just described to you NBCC. I just described to you what it looks like to disagree and love. Yeah, yeah. Listen, put aside temporary your conviction, feel, then share. Then if, you, if that hasn't been transformative, figure out what the boundaries are so you can keep loving. That's what we learn from Jesus. Let me say one more word. I'm almost to the end here. I just want to take a pastoral moment since I'm on the subject. There are a lot of parents who are going through a lot of pain because there are a lot of kids coming out right now, making choices to change gender and moving, you know, just moving into LGBTQ plus lifestyle. And it's tearing you up. A lot of you are members of our church and you just want to know what does your pastor have to say to you. So I just want to talk to you for just a moment. The first thing I want you to hear is Jesus says to you, love each other in the same way that I have loved you. And he demonstrates what it looks like to disagree and keep loving. So here's my word to you. Don't cut those kids off. Don't reject those kids. Don't turn your back on those kids. Don't you dare. No, no, no. I know it tears you up. But ask God to give you strength. Listen to their stories. Some of them are going to tell you how they came this close to taking their lives because they were afraid that they would lose you if they would be honest with you. Feel with them. Figure out what the negotiated boundaries are so that you can maintain your conviction if you share my theological perspective, but keep loving. That's what Jesus calls you to do. Let me talk to the kids for a moment. Teenagers and young adults. Don't judge your parents. I know you don't want to be judged. Don't judge your parents. Lean in. Hear their side of the story. Hear their pain. Let them communicate to you that, that, that when you came out, or when you changed your gender, how it shattered their entire lives. How they wept night after night after night. They were afraid for your soul. And literally, they didn't even know who they are anymore because they had two boys and a girl. Now they got two girls and a boy. And just turned their worlds upside down. I want you to lean in and feel that. And then, yes, negotiate boundaries. But here's the last thing. I'm talking to you now. 
Don't you run away from Jesus. Don't you let anybody lie to you and tell you that Jesus doesn't love you. Don't you let anybody lie to you and say that you can't allow Jesus to be Lord and save you for your life. Come on, I'll bring whatever you are and bring it to Jesus. That he might be Lord and Savior. Guys, you know, here's how that Philippian text ended, and I've got to finish here. 9-11, here's what it says. So therefore... God elevated Jesus, him, to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall, every knee shall bow. And every, on, on, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue shall declare what? Jesus Christ is Lord. You know, I heard someone say not long ago, there are many roads to God. And I said to that, my response was, yes, but if Jesus is who he says it is, he is all those roads in at the feet of Jesus. And he stands there with perfect knowledge. He stands there as grace and truth. And he stands there as one who has been crucified to pay for all of our sins. Come on now. Run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. You know, I, I, uh, as we think about NBCC on this, this question, you know, here, because I've explained to you our theological position, we don't do same-sex marriages. But I want you to hear this. Because of our theological position, we don't just welcome same-sex couples or whoever you are on the LGBTQ+. We don't just welcome you. We want you. We come looking for you because we are desperate for you to come to know the Jesus that we know. And I don't want you to know him casually. I want you to know him as Lord and Savior. And I'll say to parents and I'll say to friends, I'll say to other can you just surrender whoever, the person that you're in this room, surrender them to the Lordship of Jesus. He knows how to know. trust him. Trust him. Trust him. That's how desperately. We want you. Well, you know, we had a same-sex couple here, and I'm, I'm finished. I'm over time. I'm going to show you something in just a minute. Uh, let the folk who are going to help me come on and help me. Uh, we have a same-sex couple here, and, and I love them. They love me. They, essentially, they communicate to me. Why is this? They say, you know, Pastor, we're just going to agree to disagree with you about this issue. But we know you love us, and guess what? We show to love you, and we love this community, and this community loves us, and we love Jesus. And I said, cool, we can go on together. Come on now. If you celebrate him as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to entrust you into the Lordship of Jesus. And we're going to disagree and love. You know, I remember the, uh, the communion table. When the people used to bring it in, when I grew up in the Baptist church, they covered it up, and it looked like a dead body under here. Doesn't it still look like a dead body? Yeah, in your house, in the world house, the symbol for intimacy, you know, is the bedroom. But in the church, you know, the symbol for intimacy is communion table. A dead body symbolizes, you know why? Because it is reminiscent of Jesus' body, that he died for all sinners. And you know what? This is messy. Come, come on. This is messy. Because under this, we, we, we have what is called the body of Christ and the blood that he shed. It, he was murdered, y'all. He was abused, y'all. This is messy. When you try to do grace and truth in the church, y'all, it's messy. Jesus demonstrates that it cost him his life. It's just messy. 
And yet he rises up out of that messiness. And you know what he says to us? To everyone. He says, look, this is my body. Broken for you. Gay, straight, poor, rich, abused. The source of abusing. He says, take and eat. He invites us his body. And then he takes a cup. And in Hebrew tradition, the blood represents the light poured out. And he takes his sanctified blood. And he says, this is now my life, my blood poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. Take and drink. And he says, forgiveness of all your sins. Wow. His body, his blood. Whoever you are, he invites you here. And we invite you to NBCC virtually or in person. Hope to see you next week. Amen.